afterwards, they told me that they were suspending me under clause 9.1. Budget to ensure financial stability amid rising costs of everyday living. You have to tell us more about family finance. In today's world, listeners are complex and multidimensional, and it's a little cumbersome to toggle back and forth from channel to channel trying to get your fix. We feel your podcast should be just as diverse as you. Welcome to Fred Talks, where the topics are as layered and multifaceted as you are, with a dash of inspiration and a little bit of an edge. What up? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Fred Talks, a catalyst for crucial conversations for the culture. I'm your host, Fred B., and this week I had the pleasure of chopping it up with the multi-hyphenate Miss Calvis Jones-Williamson. She's a dope doula, trap herbalist, natural healer, bubble maker, food warrior, and she's 100% frotastic. This interview wasn't even scheduled to be released for a few weeks, but it just seemed serendipitous that only a few hours after our lively conversation about how essential doulas are, especially to the health and well-being of black mothers, and after we surmised why the lack of representation exists, that I stumbled across today's New York Post morning report referring to and minimizing doulas as mere accessories. I couldn't sit on the interview any longer. I had to just let it go. So, of course, I got to hit you with some ground rules and then we'll get into part one of the hilariously informative conversation I had with the dope doula herself. This probably doesn't need to be said, but of course, we're going to say it anyway. The views and opinions expressed on Fred Talks podcast are not to be misconstrued as professional advice, counsel, gospel, a personal attack, law, guarantees, a substitution for hardware, a one-size-fits-all formula for every scenario, or any type of promise. It's a podcast, y'all. Come on. You know you need to consult a credentialed professional before making a hasty or significant change with your life. Don't you? Don't you? Of course you do. Now, be encouraged by the show. Be entertained by the show. Be challenged to cross-examine some of your long-held beliefs. Note, the host and his guests have strong views held loosely. Being committed to lifelong learning means that the perspectives may change in light of information. That's not contradiction. That's evolution. So please, don't come for us unless we send for you. Now that we have an understanding, let's get back to today's episode of Fred Talks. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Can't complain. Had a had a full day, but uh, we winding down after this. So, you know, I'm yes. getting big. Get my, get, my, get my three hours before my, my son get up. <laughs> that's about all right. That's about all I'm gonna get. <laughs> but um, hey, thanks for being on the show. Uh, Fred Talk podcast is just kind of getting off the ground. So when I have uh, guests come on the show, I like to just kind of bring them up to speed, let them know the intent behind the show. Uh, it's designed to be a catalyst for crucial conversations for the culture. And part of how I try to achieve that or try to facilitate that is by having subject matter experts such as yourself come on the show and give us some exposure to things that we don't even know we're missing. Like there could be a whole world out there that we're not tapping into. We may be sleeping on it and you're going to help us. You're one of the subject matter experts today coming to help us get our life together. And having been connected, you know, in the virtual space connected to you for over about a year or so, maybe even two years now, I know you offer so much to the culture. So I really want to amplify your voice. I wanted to have you on the show actually for two reasons. I'm just keep it a hundred with you. One is I want to satisfy okay. my own curiosity. Like, 
Okay. You do so much, right? And I know, right. you know, I know I'm not really your target audience. I mean, sure, I got a daughter, I got a wife, mom, sister, all that stuff. So I could be, you know, buying stuff for them. But I just love, mm-hmm. I love um, not just your product, but your presentation and your touch. Like, there's nobody like you. I, and I know we say that as cliche, but you own your lane. Like, you out here just... Mm, I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. that. Thank you. Yeah. Hopefully you know, my bank account will catch up hey, to that. But... <laughs> <laughs> right? Praise God, yes. <laughs> I, I think what's really uh, attractive is the joy, though. Like, you know, some... Some, especially when you're an entrepreneur and you're just starting off, it it could be a drudgery. But there's so much yes. joy that emanates yes. from your page, the energy, the vibe. So even beyond the transaction, like you're making deposits, like beyond just giving them a product, you're giving them that experience, which is something they can take home, and and that has affirmed them. Like you know, so I just I just love it. I just love it. But I don't. Thank want to you so much. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. thank you so much. So I got my own questions. I'm just want to be. I just want to okay. be nosy. I'm just curious. Uh, and okay. then, you know, like I said, it's important to me that I amplify the voices of other brothers and sisters out here putting in the work whenever and however I can. I feel like that's just a small part of my contribution. So let me first just okay. say I think that you're so dope. I love how you're out here taking care of business and how supportive Appreciate you. and how hilarious your entire family is. Like appreciate you. Yeah, man, it's it's, it's dope. It's, it's dope to behold. And uh, I want my listeners to get a feel for just how dope you are. So here's what I want to do. I didn't tell you about okay. it when we were texting our, our sending messages. But uh, I don't just want the people to... Lord, <laughs> 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 Here you go. No, it's never what you want me to do. Come on here. All right. I don't want them to just know about your product. We're going to get to that. I don't want them to just know about okay. your profession or the lane you're in. But I really want them okay. to get a feel for the person behind the whole production. And so the way I do that, we, we can't do the whole interview with that, right? But one way is mm-hmm. if I throw out this icebreaker question. Okay. You might answer it. might be so telling that it can kind of catch us up to where we feel like we warmed up to you enough to, so, okay. we, so we can get further along. So here's my question. Okay. You're game for it, right? You're game for it? Huh? Well, I mean, it's okay, you know. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Chad. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> so, if there was a biopic, there's a movie about your life, what would it be titled, and why would you choose that title? And then, who would you cast to play you, and why? Not know. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, what would my biopic be called? Mm-hmm. Probably history come with her country. <laughs> I don't know, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> I Goodness gracious. 
right? Um, yeah, I mean, they all go pale in comparison. I know they can't do it quite like you, but a close second. Um, probably. Oh my gosh, who could play me in a country way? Probably, I mean, this and like you say, cliche. Probably, they probably have to get like Octavia Spencer or somebody okay. like that to to play me, or um, even Monique. I mean, honestly, mm. you know what I'm saying. I, that's yeah. who I would feel comfortable um, playing me. You know, I know she she done had her little you know conflict here yeah. there. You know, when yeah. we gonna keep Monique on the prayer list, praise <laughs> God. But, uh-huh, uh-huh. but like. I just, I just feel like her, you know, her personality. I, that's what, that's what played me. So she would just need like yeah. an acting coach to make her be country. But other than that, yeah, maybe yeah. even Loretta yeah. Devine. Like if she was a little bit younger, Loretta Devine, even you know. Mm. Yeah, yeah, some, yeah. You know, so like a combination okay. of those three. Yeah, okay. if you can mesh okay. all three of those women together. That's that's who would, who could play me. In my biopic, that was a deep question. I got a bonus question for you. Just just because you answered that one so well, like you you recovered well. So let me just uh, see Uh if I can throw you off with this one. Bonus question. Uh, What three songs would surprise your friends? Like when they hear this podcast, what three songs would they be surprised to find out is in your playlist? Oh. Or maybe they just know you wild and they ain't gonna be surprised. <laughs> so, um, probably that I do. It's not that I know like artists offhand, but like I listen to Latin jazz music a, a lot. Word. Um, yeah. Word. Instrumental. Putting the rug, doing your salsa dancing. Yeah. So, like, because it's so it's so energetic. So when I'm like mixing or I'm creating, it's like the vibe that I get from Latin jazz music, like the instrumentals is like, it really, really like puts me in a zone. Um, So you don't have like, I have, whipping in the kitchen with Kevin Gates, you got Latin music. Oh, oh no. Now listen, now listen, trick daddy. Listen, that's what, listen, can't what, listen, can't. Can't F with the spouse. That's that's my motto right there. I listen. Do you want to die? Hey, oh, see, I who me? Don't get me started right here, uh, Fred. You better be glad this okay. is a doggone interview and not no video because we'll be working it on this stage if we were the stage that we were at. But anyway, so, um, but Lang Jazz, and I love the BG. <laughs> Believe it or not, the BB from I, from the seventies, like people. Yeah, I don't. I don't have a clue. I couldn't. If I heard them playing right now, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know. The Bee Gees. I, I know. I need to get more exposure. I get it, but it's no. They're from the seventies, like disco. Oh, so that's not even a group. You, that's a genre. Is that what you're telling me? It's a group. The Bee Gees. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna have to do my Google. And uh, I'll I'll keep up to speed, but okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This like, they're like one of the original white boy bands, you know. Okay. Uh, what's it, Eric Gibbs? No, Gibbs. Yeah, like Stayin' Alive. You know the song Stayin' Alive. Stayin' Alive. Oh, Stayin' Alive. And you know what? Uh, 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 okay. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Oh. oh. Just so Lady Jack. Okay. 
the BGs, and who else? Probably, um, uh, now I only know about the BGs because Wyclef, you know, he incorporated, he sampled it. Right. Wyclef is the one that and, brought it. Um, but Sing. You said Sing? Sing. Sing. Uh huh. Really? Okay. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I, now, I went through I went through a like a, a creative I was going through like a creative like it was just I just kinda stumbled up you know, I knew who Sting I know who Sting is, but to just really sit down and so like I went through like a whole like three month period um mm-hmm. of listening to Sting like almost every day. Mm-hmm. Um in my office when I was working for for the school district here. And so, and I was just listening to it. I was just like, he's really good. Like, he's good. Okay. Yeah. So. What what puts you in that space, though? Like, what brings somebody to sing? I mean, obviously. I don't know. You know what? I had an office mate. Yeah, I had an office mate. Um, She was into, like, 80s rock and all that kind of stuff. And so she would play it, like, occasionally. But I just, I was like, you know, let me just sit down. And, and I wanted to just listen to something different. And so I was like, well, let me put in some things. And I was listening to the words. And he has, like, some awesome love songs. And I was just sure. like, wow, okay. Now, don't ask me what them songs are, uh, Fred. Because they, I wrote them down somewhere. But I was okay. like, he's really, you know, he has some timeless pieces that, mm. you know, I was like, oh, okay. Okay, Sting, I see you. I'm listening. Yeah. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah, so Latin Jazz, the Bee Gees, and Sting. Okay. All right. Bet. Bet. Okay, cool. So, now, has it, I know I'm not the first person that's ever told you that you could be a comedian. I, I can't mm-hmm. hide it. Um, have you ever <laughs> right. thought about comedy? Um, not as far as stand up, no. Like really? it's just not something that it, yeah. Um, well, I had I've I've dabbled in that like when I first uh started doing videos on I have a channel, Mama Ugly channel on mm. YouTube. And um, it was yeah, it was Mama Ugly on on YouTube. No, it's Hey Girl, Hey Girl, Hey Girl. And so you know, I kind of dabbled in it. That's when I was trying to figure out what kind of personality I wanted to to get into. So I was trying to do like pop culture and you know Mm -hmm. some politics stuff, but you know that just really didn't stick. Um, And so what I just do is I I just say. I know I'm humorous. I know I'm funny. And I'll just infuse that into whatever it is that I end up doing, you know, yeah. in that regard. But to be like a yeah. stand-up comedian, nah, I'm not. Mm-mm. Yeah. But you know what? Your comedy, um, it's just so refreshing. It, it, and I guess because it's so spontaneous or it, it just flows, it's, it's organic. It doesn't seem contrived at all. I think what I really appreciate is, it's like a break from all the trauma porn. Like, I mean, I'm sometimes I'm scrolling. Yes. Like, hey, it's eight o'clock in the morning. And, you know, I'm like, hold on, man. Can we wait to after lunch? And and people just yes. away. It's like, hold on. Yeah. So yours is that light that I need. It's almost medicinal. Like, you know, help me kind of just recover, you know, and not go on about my day. So again, I just really appreciate the energy that you bring. Now, let me say this. Talking about okay. the comedian hat, uh, before I even <clears throat> knew all the hats you wore, 
one thing I could pick up is that there's a mix of right, righteousness and ratchetness, and you you own it and you you beautify it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's mm-hmm. done so well. Um, and in my mind, you are a multi hyphenate, uh, and Facebook just doesn't allow enough characters or enough room for you to also have added comedian to your social media bio. But but we are you, you got, you got <laughs> comedy. You. In, yeah, you got comedy up your sleeve as well. Um, but those that follow you, they already know what's up. And but on a serious <laughs> note, in your bio, you describe yourself as. Uh, and you correct me if I mispronounce anything. Uh, a dope doula, okay, okay. super uh-huh. duper herbalist, and I've also seen your uh-huh. shirts that say trap herbalist, uh, yes. natural healer, bubble maker, <clears throat> food mm-hmm. warrior, and one hundred percent protested. So yes. we're gonna mix it up for the remainder of this interview. But for the most part, I really just want to unpack what do these different hats or these different lanes mean? And I know there's a lot of overlap. They all kind of intersect because you embody all of it. But uh, let's just unpack them one by one. So can you tell us about okay. a doula, especially me being a guy? So, so make it real plain, me being a guy. Just, well, actually, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't do guys like that because we are dads. We are in the room. Right. Every other dad. When y'all don't pass out. Olivia. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if y'all don't pass out during the delivery, if, but yes. If we, if we can hang. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what is a doula? So a doula is a practitioner that supports a woman during labor, uh, before, during, and after labor. So we offer comfort touch. We offer emotional support. We offer educational support. Um, We basically do everything that is non-clinical or non-medical. So I wouldn't make a medical decision for for one of my clients. But if she's faced with a decision as to, for example, you know, those those labor pains are hitting her hard and heavy and she's wanting to make the decision about having an epidural, then it's my job to support her in her decision. And if she asks me for some additional information right quick, well, of course, I'll be able to let her know, well, these are the pros and these are the cons of your decision. But at no time do I make decisions. But I just support the mother during that time. And also, um, to a certain extent, we also support the family members as well. Because, like I said, I've had to tell dad to sit down. I've had to tell Mm. mothers, go over there and and leave her alone. (laughs) She needs to make these decisions. Um, I've had to keep a grandmother calm during labor before. But the primary focus is on the mom because everybody is, is there focus on the baby, you know, monitoring the baby, monitoring, you know, the the medical aspect, but they really need that person who's going to be objective and who can give them that emotional support. Um, And and that can kind of be like a liaison between the doctors or the midwife and the, um, and the mom. So, okay. So I understand you kind of, so you are centering mom and you mm-hmm. making sure everybody is playing their part. Um, exactly. Two questions. Two questions okay. then. So, so have you ever had to check a doctor and do you feel like unintentionally fam- a lot of times family gets in the way of the doula? Yes. So um, I haven't had to uh, necessarily check a doctor. I've had to 
um, be assertive with like the nurses because they're for the they're, for the most part it's the nurses that are there with with the mom. Um, they typically um, if you know a doctor may not always be on call um, at the at, at the hospital, so they have to go and call him uh, or her, um, and they come to the hospital. And so most of my interaction has been with nurses. And so a lot of times it's not necessarily like a, like, oh my gosh, you're not going to talk to my client like that. But it's, it's one of those things of reminding the, the medical staff that any procedure, anything that you want to do, you have to ask for consent. So they'll, they'll come in, sometimes they'll come in casually. Oh, well, I'll go ahead and just put your name on the epidural list. Mm. And so then it's, it's bringing them back to say, to have the client say, do you want your name on the epidural list? Yeah, you know, you let them know. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, even a procedure such as small as getting an epidural, that requires consent. So, you know, just kind of educating the staff of, you no, know, you need to ask her. You don't tell her you're putting her name on the epidural list. Ask her if she wants to be played. You know, and it's but it's those little it's those little intricacies that you yeah. know you that yeah. can prevent you from having control over your birth in a hospital setting. In a hospital setting, yeah. Um, yeah. as far as checking family members, I've had to tell I've had to tell mothers, family members, I need you to have a seat. <laughs> Don't tell the mom to call that. I, I need you to go sit over there, and they do. Okay. They sit down. They so do, you know they 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 do sit down. So I, I don't want to interfere with your business, right? So you can definitely say no comment. But is there oh, okay. a story that you can share, you know, uh, without, you know, without disclosing so many details that it becomes obvious who you're talking about, if, it's, if they're going to feel a way about it? Um, but can you tell us, like, what has been the most confrontational or the wildest uh, experience where the family got in the way and you've had kind of had to check more? Do people just really comply once you, once you, and I'm saying check, that's probably too confrontational, but once you address them, yeah. Um, do they yeah, they, they do. They do. Um, in particular, I did have a, uh, I had a, uh, a young lady who was having a vaginal birth. Well, her mother had had her children had had her be a cesarean. So a lot of what was, a lot of what her daughter was experiencing, the mom, you know, her mother really couldn't relate because she had her, you know, be a cesarean. And, right. um, you know, and so... She couldn't really understand. I mean, obviously, she knew her daughter was in pain and stuff like that. And, you know, I want to get up. And, you know, the young lady, she started throwing up, which is a very normal process <laughs> of labor. Um, but it freaked mom out. It freaked her mom out. And she was just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, we, can't, we did it. And I'm just like, I literally, all I said was, hey, I need you to go sit down. <laughs> I, I have this. <laughs> yeah. But it was just, it was just, she couldn't, it was, but it, you know, you know what I'm saying? It was just, that wasn't her experience. So she didn't, you know, she didn't understand, yo, Lord, my daughter's growing up. And you yeah. know what I'm saying? But that's, we're trained to be calm in those situations and we know the process of labor. And so, you know, yeah, you, you might poop, you might throw up, yeah. you know, all those kinds of things. But mom kind of freaked out and 
Um, but you know, it was calm because afterward, and I could stare. She could. She, she was feeling some kind of way when I told her to sit down. <laughs> but at the end, she was like, "Pastor, you had to tell me to sit down." And I went over here and I went ahead and sat down. <laughs> I did. Right. I was like, well, you know, don't take it personal, but you know, we just try. We just have to, you know, do as we're trained to just, you know, try to keep things as smooth and calm as possible. Yeah. Okay. So, um, in my mind, am I thinking right if I associate a doula with the same being equivalent to a midwife? Is that the same okay. or no? So, no. So, um, typically, um, and that's a, that's a very common question. It's a very common question. Um, midwives have much more extensive training. They're usually in in the classroom setting, getting classroom setting um, training for about three years, and then they do an internship um, where they have to record so many births and so many clock hours as a wow. student midwife. Yes. Okay. So, um, and they they make medical decisions. Um, they really? make you know, they monitor the baby's heart rate. They monitor the mom's heart rate. Um, and there's two paths, really, to becoming a midwife. You have a traditional midwife, which is a three is typically a three-year program for if you, if you count the, um, the internship. And then you have what, what are nurse midwives, which they have, you know, a bachelor's degree in nursing, and then they've gone back for an additional one to two years and become mm-hmm. a nurse practitioner uh, Midwives. You have traditional midwives and you have nurse midwives and they can make they make medical decisions. Okay. I do not. Um and now and, is that um is that part of the, is that the goal? Like, you know how people said like two thousand nineteen, new new year, new me, next year I'm gonna be this and that, or are you content like this is this the space where you wanna occupy being a doula? You know what I mean? Or do you um, wanna- I'm cool, yeah. You know, um, I, I had contemplated um, because being a, a traditional midwife, and I would go the traditional midwife route because I've already done the whole, you know, bachelor's degree, master's degree, and I, I just, I, I ain't got time to be talking about going to nursing school and doing right. all of that. So I had right. contemplated doing the, the traditional midwife, uh, midwifery track um, for a couple of months just because. Um, because it is a regulated, being a midwife is a regulated uh, industry. So with that comes the perks of being able to, you know, build insurance and all that kind of stuff as far as being more accessible to much more people, you know, many more people. Um, I thought about that, but I, you know, really there's, there are enough, like people on the medical side, we need more people in the trenches as far as like the emotional and mental and spiritual support during labor and after labor. And so I'm, I'm, I'm good with being a doula because I know like the ultimate plan for me and like even the, my own personal spiritual journey that I'm on now, mm-hmm. that's, this is where I need to be a doula. Yeah. Um, more, and, and really, I'm we're hitting it really hard this year. Um, my husband and I, you know, with developing a marketing, a strategic marketing plan um, to really build my postpartum doula support services. Mm. Because it's a very critical time, especially for black women. 
Listen, you know, black yeah. women, we are, black women are dying three at a rate of three times uh, more than mm-hmm. white women when it comes to pregnancy-related uh, complications. And that's including yeah. postpartum depression or, or complications once a woman has been discharged. And so, you know, that's, that's a very critical piece, that postpartum period. Sometimes it's called the fourth trimester. Um, mm. It's just a very critical time, a very critical time. Mm. And so that's really where I'm, I'm moving towards. You know, I love being a, a birth doula. Don't get me wrong. Um, right. But my passion I'm seeing as I'm progressing in other areas of my life, really hitting uh, post, postpartum doula services. You know, because I love, you know, I love making healing broths. I love making, you know, herbal remedies and all that kind of stuff. It just, you know, right. it's really helping women during that time. It's, it's crucial. We interrupt this episode to express our gratitude for your listenership. Whether this is your first time listening or you're a regular listener, we want to deepen our connection. There are a few ways to do that. First, make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And of course, chances are that if you like the show, your friends will too. So be sure to post, share, and repost on all of your social media outlets. Also, don't be shy. Connect with Fred B on Twitter using the handle at Fred Talks, spelled Fred T-A-L-X. After you've completed those two steps, visit the Patreon page at patreon.com slash fredtalks. Remember, talks is spelled T-A-L-X. And check out the multitude of ways for you to support. Lastly, if you enjoy the podcast version of Fred Talks, imagine how electric a live Fred Talks session would be. Sure, recordings are great, but when it comes to value, there are some intangibles that require you to be in a live setting to get full impact. The goal is to begin online via the podcast and ultimately take the sessions offline to do the real work of providing solution-oriented, motivational sessions to impact current and emerging leaders of all ages. To get more information about hosting a live Fred Talk session for your staff, students, members, send an inquiry to fredtalks.com to get the conversation started. That's all for now. Let's get you back to the show. Uh, man, things thoughts are just firing. Um, let me try this. I, I, I didn't want to interrupt you because it's all good. So let me just throw all the questions out and then we can backpedal and we can knock them out one by one. Because as you were talking, I was like, okay, oh, so what about this? What about this? For instance, uh, I, I was tempted to say, well, why do you think black women die at such a higher rate? But we don't even need to talk mm-hmm. about that because I, I suspect I already know the answer. I mean, I, just kind of, just because of history, how black women have been objectified and um, they're not even believed as much when they say that they're experiencing certain pain, uh, you know, uh, their beliefs are assumed to be impervious to certain types of pain, things like that. So I imagine that some of that plays into it or neglect plays into it. Listen, listen, you know, we got, we have very candid conversations with Beyonce, with uh, Serena Williams, mm-hmm, and even mm-hmm. with Cardi B to a certain extent, talking about their birth experience. Serena Williams yeah. almost died. And we're talking about a world-class, five-star athlete who has access to millions in, I mean, the filthy rich, and right. yet she's in the hospital 
having to convince medical people that she is that something is wrong with her body. So is that when the doula is like, yo, y'all got to get on this? I mean, is that when the doula would assert herself, or you figure if Serena came? That is one of, that the, of the, okay, right. So that is one of the it, advocacy is a very big part. Advocacy is okay. a huge part, and it's not necessarily us saying yo, boom, 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 but it's it's mm-hmm. telling the mom, look, oh, you feel like something is wrong? Okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna push this call button until somebody comes, and you're and I'm standing here with you while you are on your hospital bed. And I'm going to support you telling these nurses or these doctors that something is wrong with you. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's that, it's just that extra support. And a lot of times, you know, people, um, you know, a lot, you know, first of all, a lot of people don't really even know what a doula is. And then once you right. explain to them, it's like, well, my, my sister's going to be in the, in the room with me. Well, this right. person's going to be in the room with me. And it's like, that's good. But is your sister, your sister's going right. to side with you. They're yeah. not going to necessarily be your advocate. They're going to pop off. And that's the difference. You need <laughs> an objective advocate in that room with you. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Because yeah. family don't get emotional if the mom get emotional. And so right. one of the important things about having a doula in a hospital with you or wherever, wherever you are going to a woman is going to choose to have her baby. It's just having that objective, calm, centering person that can be there, yeah. that can talk, you know, talk with mom and, and kind of keep everything level. But yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's just, advocacy is just so important. One of those key, key elements of what um, a doula does. Okay. My next question is, uh, can you talk demographics or numbers? Uh, just, uh, approximate numbers you know um are are there a lot of is it what is what does representation look like for a black woman who's a who's a doula doula like do you find yourself the minority in that industry so this is the crazy thing fred like seriously no joke this is the crazy this is the craziest thing about being a doula Hmm. historically that's us right yeah, we historically, yeah. birth workers, historically, birth workers were black. And that was because we didn't have access to medical me- medical facilities. I mean, we were brought here, during, especially during slavery, you know, it, a doctor would come by and it was basically like a veterinarian. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we weren't even like human. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the most care slaves got was during the birthing experience. You know, so that is like yeah. women for the most part. Um, so that's both really workers. The investment, right? I mean, that's, it, it, do you think that was. Yeah, it was because they cared. I mean, it was like, yeah. you know, breeding. And so yeah. you got somebody who's helping, you know, catch this new little slave or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so historically, birth workers were black. Um, and that was the midwives. And, and whoever she had as a support, it could have been a doula or however they had that person. But that, but um, typically it was it was uh, a woman who was a midwife, and she would probably have two other slave assistants. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the midwife was black. Uh, two other two slaves were helping her, and so there, there, those were the that was the birthing team. It was historically black. Um, 
but you 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 fast forward that today it's dominated by white women. It's dominated by white women. And it's so crazy because um they they don't get it as far as the cultural sensitivities. Um because if that was the case, you wouldn't have all of these culturally uh you know, you would there wouldn't be a need for cultural competency training. Come on. Um yeah. yeah. The, and the, they probably think the, they got it though, right? I mean they're blind. Right. They're I mean or they because you know what? It's 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 here's the thing. It's 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 uh it's nouveau. It's 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 the hip thing to do to have a doula. Mm-hmm. It's you know what so I'm we, saying? So it's not looked at right. We gentrifying the birth room now. <laughs> yeah. So it's the thing, you know, I have a doula. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have a doula and she's going to, um, she's going to burn lavender incense and everybody's, it's going to be a kumbaya experience because I have a doula. And so it's, so what's happened because of that, you know, access to a doula because of the prices, because I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to you. My full price, I I get going. Nah, you know. I, I love what I do, but you know the thanks for uh, paying me coins. So Won't you do it. That's it. Yes, Won't it will. So there's 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 that aspect of it. Um, but if there was if there was a broad appreciation or understanding of what Black women needed in particular, then you wouldn't have people like Sophia Monroe, who is like the I would say she is like the leading expert about cultural competency mm-hmm. um, when it comes to birthing and women of color. She's a midwife, but she she does she trains competency. Um, she does cultural competency when training white women on supporting black women during labor. And um, you know, I mean, she trains black people too. She's the one who trained um, Erica Badu did her doula training under her. Word. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Shafia Monroe is like, boom, like, you know, she is, she's like the leading expert when it comes to the sensitivities of black women who need that labor support. Um, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's like, it, it's dominated by white women. When I went to my training, I got, well, I got trained. Forget it. Let me ask you this part here, please, because you're going to say something else is so good, and I'm going to be like, dang it, you know. So I'm not as young as I used to be, uh, okay. <laughs> and I might forget. But real quick, um, if the money is there, it should attract, mm-hmm. I, would, I would think, like, if I knew that I could get coins like you getting coins, and then I'm also loving my people, and then I get to serve my people like that, it seemed like that would start a clear career path. Like I would, I would be pursuing it more aggressively. Why do you think... Uh, we're not occupying the space a little bit more. Are there are there systemic things keeping us out, or we just don't know about this? We just don't know. We just do not know. We don't know. Mm. I mean, you know, it's becoming more and more. We're 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 learning about it more because of, in particular, there's a a, a Facebook series of uh, Robert Bula Diaries that's on Facebook, and so people are sharing those videos, and people are seeing what a doula does, but it's largely, it, you know, is, is there institutional racism in place? Um, probably you could say that because, 
you know, it costs, you're, you know, your training, it costs, you know, for, you know, to, to take the training and then you're submitting the application, you're paying for that. There are other, um, you know, there are other little auxiliaries that you're paying because you have, you know, to go through the actual um, certification. But um, I think it's, you know, I equate it to kale and I equate it to quinoa. It's like, Negroes been eating greens and little little rice grains all their life. I mean, you know, they was growing it over in Africa, and then all of a sudden, some hippie white people or whatever, they commercialize it and market it as you know the next as the superfood and yeah. ancient grains. And it's just like, are you kidding me? You know, so so that's the frustrating part about the industry. It's like. This is our birthright. Yeah. Women in Africa, women in Latin America, women in, of, cult, of, 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 of color, we have always, you know, we were having to rely on midwives and having to rely on doulas because we couldn't have access otherwise. And now it's just kind of being Kim Kardashian. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just, mm-hmm. that's what's happening. It's like, Girl, them cornrows. What you talking about? Boxer braids. What? What is a boxer braid? Right. right. So they. So that's kind of what the, happened. The, the yeah. <laughs> they, yeah, they have. It's like it's the next best thing. Oh my gosh! But it's like, no, it's essential to Black women's survival. You know, during birthing, you know, mm-hmm. during the labor process and postpartum. You know, it, it's just that. So it's largely, it is largely uh, white. It's the majority of white. And when I started really understanding, you know, I'm coming now. I'm coming in contact with, you know, um, Jenny Johnson, who has a she's a black woman who who owns a midwifery school here in Florida, down in Orlando. And so, you know, collect, connecting with her, connecting with Claudia Booker, connecting with Shafia Monroe. You know, these are the black women who are holding space and who are saying yeah. we need to reclaim these birthrights. You know, this birthright. We this this yeah. is we we were doing this and this we were doing this out of necessity. It's not a fad. It's not a fad. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about part, postpartum. Um, I didn't plan to go here, but you've made so many references to it that it also triggered some thoughts. Um, <clears throat> uh, do people generally underestimate uh, the toll of uh, postpartum, and also? Even women experiencing it, are they usually aware that that's what's going on? Uh, and how common is it? So I know I'm throwing a lot at you. How common is it? Do the do the does the mother usually know in the moment that oh this is what I'm feeling, or is she unaware? And in general, are people mis under uh, having a lower estimation or underestimating postpartum depression? I think I think so. Um, you know, one of the things in particular with women who who uh, end up having a belly birth, and that's the term that I like to use. I learned that during my, my training. Instead of a cesarean, we, you know, we refer to a, a belly birth. Um, is cesarean considered to be like a pejorative statement? Like, is that is that a thing? Like, oh, I'm better than you because I had a vaginal one versus a cesarean. Is that a thing? Like, why? So there's still that stigma. Yes. That, that's still a, like, <laughs> that is still a really heavy stigma. Um, wow. across all ethnicities, really. I mean, okay. you know, 
it, it is wow. that that's still something that you know women are having to uh to, to deal with you know if they had a cesarean you know people are making and, and people will make like crazy comments like oh well you're not a real mom and it's just like what <laughs> i got a real baby <laughs> yeah you know i mean it's, it's just it's just crazy but i think one of the things um and this is something that I will be like hitting hard um, this year. One of the things I, I don't think people properly plan, they don't have a proper postpartum plan. Yeah. So, so acceptance. like, you know, they went through it, but I'm, I'm not going to experience it. Is that, so, is that about right? so there, so there's, there's that. Um, but, it's like, it's just a little thing. Like, how do I deal with, I want to take a shower, but my baby won't go to sleep. Yeah. Who's cooking? You know, who's going to cook? Uh, you know, if you do have a cesarean, the only thing that you're allowed to do is pick up your baby. You can't do other stuff because you, it takes approximately three weeks just for the first level of healing to take place. Um, and so it's those little things, and then you have people who who want to give unsolicited advice, and yeah. then you're freaked out, especially if it's your first baby, and then your body has gone from making this set of hormones to now it's not making that set of hormones, and but there aren't any replacement hormones during that transition, so now you're kind of like very off-centered and there's just a lot going on. And I don't think people, I don't think women in particular, they do understand. I mean, they do underestimate. They do. It's like, oh my God. Um, You know, and and just from my experience, you know, Mm -hmm. I can can speak speak on that. Um, Just from my experience, I had um, you know, I ended up having to have a cesarean with my son mm-hmm. and the pain, just dealing with that, you know, the pain. And I was just like, yeah. oh my gosh. Now I had to have a, an emergency, uh, well, it wasn't really an emergency one, but I had, ended up having a, uh, a cesarean with my daughter, but I was mm-hmm. way more prepared to deal with the pain. Mm-hmm. And that in turn led to quicker recovery. Yeah, I was able to walk much faster. Mm-hmm. I knew which I knew which pain medication to refuse. So that's yeah, one thing with cesareans, Lord. They would throw they would throw them oxycodones and them per- well, no, they had Percocets for me, and they yeah. just couldn't understand why I didn't want to take them Percocets. And I was like, no, because yeah. like I had I actually had like um a few uh, whose nations I would wake up in the middle of the night. Thinking somebody took my baby, took my son. Really, man. Yes, I, I mean, it, I mean, that's how the terrifying. Yeah, so it was just like, oh my god, you know, and I was paranoid. I mean, it was just, it was just horrible. But with my daughter, because I had an actual, uh, I had a plan. Like, okay, this is what this is what we're doing. My husband, um, you know, he was attentive during during my cesarean with my son. But because we had an actual plan, it was way, it was way better. You know, so we were able to navigate our way through our postpartum, um, during that postpartum time. Um, 
So there's a lot of factors that go on that contribute to postpartum depression. Um, it's very common. It's not anything that you can, in my opinion, it's not really anything that you can avoid. Um, because, and here's the thing, I mean, there's, obviously there's, there are levels to it. You know, some women experience a very mild case, and then you have some women who, who suffer um, from psychosis because of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but I think having that plan in place, but a lot of it is, is, is driven because of hormones. I mean, you know, yeah. your body is like freaked out. It's not making, yeah. you know, it doesn't need progesterone anymore. It's going back to, you know, estrogen right now. And so it's just, you know, he was just, he, a woman is just trying to maintain and become balanced and go back to yeah. normal. You know, her hair is falling out. She's suffering from yeah. postpartum, uh, you know, shedding. And that's a big thing, you know. Yeah. Lord, yeah. my hair is falling out, you know. Yeah. So and it's it, just. Especially, would you, would you agree that especially for, you know, black women? Because for black women, yes. Our hair means, it, 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 it means something. You know, it's not just, it's just not an, it's not just an accessory. You know what I mean? Like it, it tells us. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. So, you know, hair setting, that kind of thing. And so just being able to provide that support to tell mom, listen, it's going to take you up to a year for your body to get back to normal. And that's with uh, hormonal levels, your hair, you know, just for the physical, the physical attributes and the hormonal attributes. You, it's going to take you a year. I think what it, the problem is with our mainstream culture. It is not back. supportive of that. that. Yeah. 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 It's just, you know, you got to hurry up and go back to work. You got to hurry up and, 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 and uh, uh, you, you know, you have to be superwoman and all that kind of stuff. And so there is that, that whole part of really healing and being able yeah. to experience that fourth trimester where it's more about bonding with the baby and and mom getting well is like, well, you know, I gotta see, I gotta be able to do this, and you know, it's just yeah. American culture is not very uh, is not very caring mm-hmm. when it comes to postpartum support. It's not. It's yeah. horrible. But are, are we? Are, would you say we're getting better though? I mean, I don't know if it's the advent of the internet and you know people sharing their stories now. So we, you know. What, what, do you think we're getting better? Are we at a standstill? Are we getting worse? What's your... I think people are advocating... Well, I think people are advocating more. So, you know, there's more information coming out about it. Um, but, it, you know, at the end of the day, it's about policy. And it's about people yeah. who, can, who can affect policy change. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. um, you know, we can talk about it. We can share our stories all we want to. But if we don't have people in, in, in those lawmaking decisions that, that, you know, are saying, look, employers, y'all, y'all gotta, you know, we need to, we need to do better. Yeah. You know, with, right. with our, with women who are having babies. Let me, um, let me, because there's, because this is just one hat. You got all these other hats, right? So I, I don't want right. to, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll mess around and park here and this be all we talk about. We'd be, you know, this be a four part series. So hold on. <laughs> Okay. I, I got two more two more questions I want to uh, ask about the doula before we okay. transition. 
both of them are centered around journey. So I'd like to know, um, speaking of journey, like at what point is the doula contracted? You know, like, is it, is it third month? They say, hey, I need a doula. And, and what is that? How do they go about finding a doula? Like, they just go on the website, find somebody, they go to Fiverr, you know, how do they get a doula? <laughs> <laughs> Can you draw me a, draw me a doula, Fiverr? Draw me a doula. So, um, there are websites, you know, there are um, doula websites um, that people can go can go to. Typically, if um, the, the people that I've come in contact, they've uh, they've contacted me the second trimester. Um, and that's just because that's kind of like the, you, you kind of, I won't say smooth sailing, but it's pretty much, okay, you're pregnant and you're still pregnant. And so yeah. let's move forward with, you know, receiving that support. Um, so, you know, once they get in the, once they get into that second trimester and they know the sex of their baby, then that's typically when they'll go ahead and reach out to, to someone to find a doula. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. so that's the, the mom's journey to you. What about your journey to becoming a doula? Because, you know, it's got to be a unique call. Uh, you clearly care for women. You clearly, you know, want a third. I mean, but I can't imagine that you were a child and, you know, they had, they asked the question, you know, what do you want to be? You were, oh, I want to be a doula. Like, tell us about how you went from teaching, uh, you know, working in schools to becoming a doula. Like, when did it come on your radar? When did you seriously consider it? And what was that like? Um, I started contemplating becoming a doula like in 2015. Okay. Um, and it was just, Going back and forth to the website, to the you know to the training website. Nah, I ain't gonna do it because you know the cost factor. Nah, I'm not. I, you know I can't really um, do anything. I, you know I need to. It, it's just too cumbersome. And, you know I talked myself out of it. I talked myself out of it for two years, for uh, three years. Um, and so it just. I don't. I, you know, it's just one of those things that I just, I was like, dang, um, a lot of the women who, who take doulas, who become doulas, uh, they, they started out in another industry. So my background was education and herbalism. Um, there was a lady in my class who was a caterer. There's a, a couple of massage therapists that were in my class and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of doulas, it was kind of like a natural progression because of other work that they've done. Um, but what yeah, really, really pain already seemed like, I mean, like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what really filled the deal with me was when the national Institute of health started publishing that information and that those last set, that last set of studies that showed that, um, Black women were three times more likely to die yeah. due to pregnancy-related um, complications. Yeah. That just did it for me, and so that I think that was like around October 2017 when that information had came out, mm-hmm. and and then it was just like, yo, no, I I need to, I got, I'm gonna have to do it, and I, I'm gonna just yeah. have to get the money up some kind of way. And what ended up happening, um. I had made my first installment. I told my mom about it, and she said, "Oh, well, uh-uh, I'm gonna pay the rest of it." 
So my oh, mom paid okay. like the other half of me uh-huh, going through the doula training. And yeah. it was just like, wow. You know, I was in that's that's really it was it was the amount of information that was being shared about our plight, black women fight, um, mm-hmm. and how we were dying, um, as you know, compared to white women during during labor. So so you woke woke, right? Like you're not just conscious and full of information, like you are full of information and you allow that to inspire you to act. Were you always you know, I, you know, I know the word woke is so trite but nowadays, but were you always this conscious right. and this uh, empathetic, you know, and had this affinity towards uh, people like this? Or, or were I, there, I think people? so. Well, I, you know, my father, when he, when he, my, my dad was working for the school system and he up and decided, hey, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to go into this neighborhood and I'm going to take the crack house. And I'm going to turn it into a learning center. So my dad did that over 25 years ago. And so just being around that environment, you know, I grew up in the country, but we were in the inner city. You know, my dad's community center is in the inner city. Well, I don't know if Ocala really got an inner city child. We got horses and stuff, but but we let them, we I let the saints have their little inner city since it's a city limit or whatever. But okay, Ocala. But anyway, um, you know, I mean, just understanding, you know, when you it's one thing to be like, oh, them people in the project and they on welfare and they they on this and they on that, but you know, I'm I'm a 13 year old going into high school, understanding that, well, damn, it's the judges own half of these project houses that send it, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. it, this, is, this isn't uh, necessarily, I mean, yeah, it can be a generational choice, but this is an institution that's in place. So, in high school, you know, late middle school, early high school, I, I understood what the deal was. I understood parents you know, signing their kids up for SSI checks and all yeah. this kind of stuff. But I also understood the social workers, you know, in the school system that was helping these these parents make these type of decisions, you know, all yeah. in the name of a dollar. So I understood, I've understood from a very early age, the systems, it's actually systems in place. And what we right. see are the results of what's happening. It's not that they have these crab oils on welfare. You right. too. It's slumlords, you know, and these are prominent yeah. white people in the community that own these project yeah. houses. You know what I'm saying? Just so, this, just this week, I was saying to somebody, I said, uh, you know, uh, I don't, I don't remember when I had this defining moment, but I came to a point like I didn't have this type of uh, consciousness that you grew up in at such a grew up with at a certain age. Like that, that came in adulthood. But I did have a moment where I said, you know, we are so quick. We have been conditioned to call something ghetto, like using that as a disparaging uh, right. planet. But if the, if the inhabitants of the hood or the project or whatever are ghetto, then what the hell do we make of the people who designed it and redlined them into that place? Like if Exactly. How diabolical do you have to be? To create and to exactly so, so yeah exactly right. yeah and, and I know we talking about we we didn't come, came from doula <laughs> we didn't came from some other doula to systemic 
racism and all this right. stuff. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. But, but it's everywhere now. Uh, close us out by telling us how, how should we get in, talk, get in contact with you? Where should we be looking for you? What events are coming up? Um, how can we get your products? How can we support you? You know, all that stuff. Go ahead and plug yourself. All righty. So I am the Apple Whisperer. My website is www.theafrowhisperer.com. You can follow me on um, Instagram at The Afro Whisperer. I have a Facebook page, The Afro Whisperer. Um, just cre- I just created a Pinterest account for The Afro Whisperer. So um, just, you know, subscribe to our emails. Uh, we're, we're creating that where people can uh, subscribe to our emails and all that good stuff. Um, upcoming events so far in April, I will have uh, a cohort for African Heritage and Health Program. It's a six-week program. Um, people come in. It's a live cooking demonstration. We go through all of the uh, food groups, and they learn about African diaspora uh, history as it relates to eating. Um, so that. That's going to kick off April 13th uh, here in Ocala, um, and that coincides with Black um, Health Month, Black Health Awareness Month. Um, so and so that's what Black I have. Health Awareness Month? Yes. April is um, Black uh-huh. Health Awareness. Yes. Okay. April is Black Health Awareness Month. Um, so I'll be doing some, you know, cooking. Um, that whole month for my live sessions will be devoted to Black Health Matters. Um, also, um, we've got new products coming out. Just, we have just a lot of things that we're developing. My husband is developing a men's line for the Apple Whisperer, mm. um, specifically for those bald brothers with beards, because mm. he's a part of the bald beard gang. So he's going to be, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. He's gonna be. He's developing that now, uh, formulated, which is really, which is really neat because, um, you know, the thing about my husband is, uh, you know, at first sight you wouldn't think that he would be into making soaps and all that kind of stuff, but he's actually very good at it, and he's actually uh, one. He's actually the primary mixer of our uh, sugar fit hair shortening. He makes that. Um, I don't know. He he called himself trying to tell me what technique he uses to whip it, but it's a certain yeah. way that he does it that it the consistency yeah. is just like lovely. So he's done that for the past three years with uh, our sugar for hair shortening. Um, but um, but yeah, so we just have a lot of stuff in store. So y'all just follow us on on social media. Follow us on social media if you need to email me afterwhisper at gmail dot com. Um, yeah, so. Wow, man, you dropped some gems. Thank you so much. Uh, I look forward Thank to Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. Absolutely. All right, well, uh, I know I've taken you away from your family for at least two hours, so uh, let me go ahead and give you your time back. And uh, I'm, okay. I'm excited to release this. I know I told you, you know, this might come out in March. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm going to try to sit on it. I'm going to try to sit on it till March. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it might come out sooner. And just like that, it's a wrap. Another episode for the archives. Do you like it? Do you feel it, though? Did anything resonate with you? Did it motivate you? So now what? 
What are you going to do about it? What's your next move? Share your thoughts by emailing fredtalx at mail.com or connect on Twitter at fredtalks, spelled Fred, T-A-L-X. Tune in next time for some more gems.